Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, beginning with the first chapter, verses 1 through 4, and then the second chapter, verses 5 through 12. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he anointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, but someone has testified somewhere, what are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It is fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father in heaven. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying... I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, as we gather this hour to worship, to praise you, to partake of your holy meal. May you speak to us through all elements of worship. That in speaking to us, we would clearly hear who you would have us be, what you would have us do, how you would have us live. But in the hearing of these words, O Lord, through song, through scripture, through liturgy, through silence, through your word, may we be transformed so that we are not merely hearers of your word, but active doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Each year when we go to annual conference up at Lake Junaluska, part of what the proceedings happen is the bishop calls up onto the stage those candidates for 
commissioning into ministry or those candidates for ordination and reads them John Wesley's classic questions of examination. And so whether she or he, he, she's got them lined up on the stage, and one of the first questions that is asked is, are you in debt so as to embarrass yourself? And friends, I have to tell you that over 25 years, we've gone from a light chuckle to almost just plain laughter about that question. Because the cost of seminary has risen such that clergy come out, there one of them said, I'm in so much debt, I'm not embarrassed anymore. That wasn't the point of the question. But the candidates that come out of our church, we are thankful that we have got resources to help them come through seminary with as little debt as possible. That is a blessing that those that have gone before us have put in place for those who will serve us and the churches of our annual conference. So as we listen to that and that sort of dies off, that laughter dies I started to think about the next question because I know it's coming. And the question is this, is are you going on to perfection? And again, there's this chuckle across the room because all of them know, I mean, they know who some of the candidates on stage are. The candidates on stage know themselves. Those of us that have answered that question, we know the reality. We're human beings. Are we going on to perfection? Some of us are just trying not to screw up today, but perfection. So that always lingers, and after that daffter dies, and we go to the rest of the questions, the conference votes, and we move on to the next item on the agenda. But I have to confess to you, that question lingers for me. Are you going on to perfection? Are you going on to perfection? I mean, what did John Wesley mean by those terms? I mean, I think about baseball, for example. In baseball, you can come up to the plate and you can get a hit three out of ten times and have a 33-33 batting average and you are highly successful and you are well paid and you don't have to worry about anything as long as you can hit the ball one out of three times. Far from perfect. Or you can be a pitcher and you can obtain the unicorn in baseball. The perfect game. No runners on base, no runs scored, nine innings of pitching perfection. Very rare to see that. Perfection. What did John Wesley mean? I think about the words perfectionist. You know, perfectionist is someone who goes through life and makes no mistakes. And while that sounds great, we all know that that's impossible. Another look for a perfectionist is someone who is constantly trying to do better, to try to do it right, to try to make fewer and fewer mistakes. And it is also difficult to do. And sometimes for those that really struggle with perfectionism, it becomes debilitating, exhausting, and paralyzing, afraid to move forward. Perfection. But I think there's something in this passage today which might change our mind, which might give us a clue to what John Wesley is talking about. See, the author of Hebrews is writing to an early church that has been steeped in this tradition that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is going to come back. He was raised from the dead and put in and is in heaven with God right now. But be prepared. Get right because Jesus is coming. But every day they wake up and they think today is the day and Jesus doesn't come back. So the author is writing to encourage the people 
But I think about the church in the 21st century. Do we wake up today? Do we wake up today thinking today might be the day? Or are we kind of hoping that we'll get some indicators, some early leaders that might let us know that something big is coming so that we can then live out that bumper sticker of, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. I mean, I found it interesting that the early church was expecting it, and the more that time goes by, the current church just doesn't talk about it. So I think this letter is for us as well. Because this letter reminds us that Christ was sent to replace the prophets, to speak for God directly as God, to came as the heir of all of creation and with all authority over every bit of it. The name above all names is recorded in the New Testament. Christ was sent to redeem the world. And so we read in that verse 10 of today's text that Christ, fully human, fully divine, is the pioneer of our salvation, made perfect through suffering. So then this idea of perfection is not some moral quality, moral purity, making no mistakes, but instead it's the reality of achieving a goal of a oneness with God, that perfect relationship that God wants with all of creation. The idea of Christ as pioneer, paving the way for the rest of us, imperfect as we are, this hope that we could be made perfect in relationship with God. That God's grace, through that grace, that Christ's atoning sacrifice might lift us up out of the mud and the muck that we find ourselves in and that we might be in that relationship. So because of Christ, we can be made whole. We can be made perfect. We can seek that perfection, reaching deep into life and living into our calling of who God has called us to be. Being truly human in Christ. Think about how we affect the world around us. And that we can rest comfortably in the assurance of Christ. That we can be in that right relationship with the one who loves us most, the one who created us, redeemed us, and sustains us. I think about this idea of perfection. I think about calling. I think about this idea of listening. I mean, some of you travel for business. Some of you travel for pleasure. Some of you haven't traveled in two years. But think back with me to the last time you were in the airport and all the noise, that cacophony of sound, people here and there and all the bells and the horns and whistles and somebody always talking on some sort of overhead speaker that sounds something like like that. You have no idea what they're saying. So you're sitting at your gate, you know where to go, and all of a sudden people are standing up and you hear there's that droning overhead because you're right at that spot where four gates are talking all at once, but people stand up, so you go to stand in line. They've gotten smart. They actually put a number up there and that tells you what zone they're calling because nobody can hear it. But you stand in line hoping either that you're in your zone or to slip in under the wire. But sure enough, as you're standing there, someone comes racing up what number have they called? Because they can't hear. They're unsure about the calling. So hold on to that idea, this listening and unsure about our calling. And let's talk about what it is that we do. 
What is it you do in life? What is your vocation or the vocation you have? If you're retired, what did the vocation you had at work? Did you choose it? Why did you choose it? Was it the family business, truly the family business? Or was it because that's what everybody in your family did? Or did you choose it because you decided, I want to get a job in where I can make the most money? Or was it because you said, you know, that sounds like fun. I should do that. Or was there some desire to help people? Or did the profession choose you? Did you go into something like teaching and you picked up coaching on the side to supplement your income? And yet what you started to find is the more you coached young boys, young girls in whatever sport it was you were successful in, you really liked coaching. And pretty soon you figured out a way to transition from teacher and coach to just coach. Or maybe you were teaching in general and you started to notice that there were students having trouble reading and you wanted to become a reading specialist because you wanted to see those students grasp it. And so you went from a classroom to a specialist. The profession chose you. This whole idea of vocation, it comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. So think about the, trend, the, the profession you're in. Did you choose it? Well, did you choose it because there was some nagging in your soul that wouldn't leave you alone, that every time you thought about doing something else, it brought you back to this? You thought about doing something else and you came back to this and pretty soon you realized this was it. My friends, that's a calling. That's a vocari. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But regardless of how you got into the profession you're in and doing what you're doing, you're here now, so now what? What do we do with that? See, this idea of perfection in God's kingdom is about leaning into, about looking around, about listening for how God can use us, our skills, our talents, to shape the kingdom right where we are. I think about financial advisors. Financial advisors help people figure out their wealth, how to grow it so that they can provide for their future, whether it's college, for their kids, or whether it's for retirement. Maybe they have a dream for a beach home or something like that. So what if you're one of those financial advisors? What if you lean in to that gift that God has given you and this idea of these relationships you build and you help people see that there are also other things they can do with their wealth? Generosity and philanthropy. See, that's God speaking to you to lean into it. What if you're a medical professional and God speaks to you to lean into that training you have, that skill you have to care for people and to help seek out ways to use it not only in your practice, but also in the community to help those who don't have access to health care or to participate in mission trips far and abroad to help those who won't even have a modicum of what we have here in this country. See, that's important. Or what if you're a teacher and you realize that in addition to teaching a three R's or whatever specialized subject you have, maybe a foreign language, that you realize that part of your calling to lean into, to listen to, and see where God has placed you is this place where, guess what? You are mentoring, encouraging students. So not only are they learning the material you're supposed to teach, but they're learning that someone cares and shows them that there is a future out there that is obtainable. See, going on into perfection is about listening 
for our calling. It's about listening to how God speaks to us to cut out all the clutter in life to really hear that. I mean, I tell our clergy colleagues at times, we talk about how our calling has always evolved. Yes, any of us, when we were in seminary, what we thought we would be doing when we were in our 50s, most of us have no idea that we would be doing what we're doing now. The twists and the turns. I have a friend that's an anesthesiologist. He loves doing it. He says, you know, my job's great. I put people to sleep. I'm kind of like you, Glenn. Um, you caught that good. You're awake. But he says that, but he says, you know, I noticed a while ago, I missed coaching. I used to coach when I, was in, when I was in undergrad. I used to help coach a high school track team. So he has found a way to go back to coaching. So he's now coaching track. He has leaned into, and listen, his calling has changed. Those of you that did something in business and now you retired, guess what? You don't have a call. Your calling is no more in work, but it's changed to something else. You're no longer doing what you did as a vocation. You're calling now, your vocare is something different. For us to be on the road to perfection, are we going on to perfection? It's about leaning into that calling, to listen for how God is speaking to us and where God needs to use us today for the sake of the kingdom. And as we begin to understand that, then we begin to understand that part of that calling is also how we treat each other. Going on to perfection is about our effect and impact on the world around us. I think about a boat uh, sailing up a channel. You know, if you hit the gas really hard, you throw the throttle down, the boat leaves these big waves behind it, this big wake. They can be destructive if you crash a big wake near other docks or shorelines or other boats. You can upend people's worlds. Do we think about the wake that we cast in the world around us? You thought about the impact you make, good and bad. See, this idea of being in perfection is about being the best human beings that we can be. It's not about trying to win man or woman of the year award. No, that's an achievement. This is about a lifetime where the goodness of what we do is the impact that we make. That's what we want to go for. That's going on to perfection. So we become self-aware of our attitude. Are we positive or are we negative? Where no one wants to be around us. Do we build people up or do we cut people down? Are we self-aware of how we treat others? Do we value others and value what they think and how they feel? Or do we think of ourselves as superior and that we know it all? Because guess what? No one wants to be around the know-it-all. You may, in fact, be the smartest person in the room, but let people uncover that. But chances are, you may be the smartest person because you've learned from others. Keep it up. Do we teach people to help them, or do we teach people to control them? Do we listen to people's stories or we dismiss their experience. You know, one of the tragedies we have going on in the world around us is that we are quick to dismiss people's stories. We don't want to hold their truth because it makes us uncomfortable, but that's the whole point of it. That's their truth, just like our truth might make them uncomfortable. So when someone says, I didn't experience this way, I experienced this, don't say, oh, no, you didn't. Because guess what? They just told you what they did experience. How we react to each other's stories 
are the waves of the wake we leave? Are we self-aware of our faults? Do we own them? We realize that we have stepped over a line, we have hurt someone else. Do we apologize? Do we own that? Ask for forgiveness and do whatever we can to fix it, to make it better. See, when we spend time on our knees listening to God, how God is calling us, we should also spend time on our knees asking God to show us how to be better in life, how we can be better human beings for the world, but for each other. Because in that moment, when we start to ask that question, we are pondering the size of the wake we leave. And then, my friends, we find ourselves going on to perfection. And as we do that, as we begin to think about our calling of Rakari and how we leave awake in lives, we begin to understand that both of those things are tied directly to our relationship with God who loves us most. And we go all the way back to creation. We begin to realize what God desires for us. When God created the world, male and female, and called it good, God wanted this close relationship with you, with me, with the whole world. God wanted this loving relationship where we begin to realize that all the blessings in life come from God and we don't need to want for anything else because God will provide it for us. Think about the story of the Israelites. They found themselves in captivity. And they began to cry out and God pulls Moses aside with a burning bush and says, I want you to set my people free. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Moses says, I don't want to do it. And God says, yeah, but you're going to. And so Moses goes. Remember what he says. Moses goes and starts talking to Pharaoh. God speaks to Moses again and says, tell the people to paint blood on the doorposts of their homes and I will send a wave of death over. But I will protect you if you do this. And so what happens is the plagues are visited upon Egypt and the Hebrew people, they are spared because of God's protection. The Pharaoh says, go, just get out of here. And so the people run. The army is chasing them. They get, to the, they get to the Red Sea and they're freaked out because they're looking at the ocean. They look back and they see the army coming. And what happens? God makes a way in the waters and they rush through and they're saved. And then on the other side, they're in the middle of the desert and they look at the sea behind them. They look at the desert ahead and they go, what will we do to eat? And the manna falls from heaven just enough every day for the people to survive. They're looking at the desert and all they can think in their mind is recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And what does God do? He leads them by a column of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Always with them, always showing them the direction to go. And then as they're getting closer to the promised land, sends Moses up to the mountaintop and sends Moses down with the Ten Commandments, ten simple rules for living life, which really can be boiled down to really two. Love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. See, Christ is the fulfillment of God's deep love for the world. And so perfection going forth is seeking that relationship. It's seeking to lean into that love. It's this idea of intentional discipleship, about listening to God and trusting God with all of our lives, with the things that we fear, 
trusting God that God will protect us just as he did the Israelites, that God will provide for us just as he did the Israelites, that God will provide a way just as he did for the Israelites. That God will guide our lives with those simple rules if we'll just lean into those. And that God will lead us by day and by night. If we are faithful enough to trust then we open our eyes and we see that all of that is right before us. And the promised land is just a step away. So when we begin to seek God in everything that we face, then my friends, we are going on to perfection. So on this World Communion Sunday, we gather with Christians around the world right here at this table But here's what we know. We know that the world is not perfect, right? We know that the church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. In a lot of ways, we're kind of like a baseball batter that steps up to the plate and swings mightily at the pitch coming in front of us. And sometimes we make a connection and sometimes we don't. But the table of grace says that we can come back up to the plate again and that we can increase our batting average because faithfully we are trying to go on to perfection. That as long as we keep swinging, as long as we keep trying, as long as we lean into our calling, as long as we try to think about the wake that we leave and as long as we try to grow closer to God, we cannot fail because the grace of the kingdom says that if you come to my table, salvation is present for you. And that, my brothers and sisters, is a gift for all the world, and especially for us this day. So let us come to the table. Let us confess. Let us listen. Let us find grace. And we'll find ourselves going on to perfection. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.